Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of ICTMF Podcast. Uh, today we've got a couple of special guests with us, um, so why don't we go around the table and introduce ourselves. Hi, my name is A.P. Vague. I am Jackson Graham. <laughs> that is who I am. So, should I prefer prefer refer to you as A.P. this whole time? or <clears throat> You can call me whatever you want. Okay, well I'm going to call you Aaron if okay. that's alright. You can. <laughs> I mean, none of my real friends call me Aaron. <laughs> well, unless they call you. Well, unless you're like a real, real friend. There's like the people who don't know me call me Aaron, or the people who know me well enough to know that it's okay to call me Aaron other than the people who are my friends who don't, then they can call me Aaron. But can if I you call gotta, you Mr. Vague? Yeah, you could do that. That'd be good. I, although I pre- prefer it the French way. and say Vogue. Vogue? <laughs> Is that an actual French name? Yeah. Not... <laughs> Not uh, not anything else. <laughs> not anything else. Pure French, one hundred percent pure. Well, um, what do you think our topic is today, Aaron? I mean, AP. I mean, Mr. Vague. Vog. Vog. What are you asking me for? Well, because you are our guest. Well, then I I'm guess quizzing that's, you. Is that the topic? Then is I'm the guest, so. That's the topic, is me. We should probably address that the host of the show is not here. Oh, yes, that is correct. Um, Brett cannot make it today. Did he is feeling follow up with, uh, with, what was that guy's name? Oh, Jay? Yeah. James? Did he have a, that fight he was promoting? Yes, uh, he actually won that fight in his, in his class. <sighs> nice. And so did in another class um, this guy I went to high school with, which is kind of weird. Yeah, like I was saying earlier, I don't know much about MMA and... I definitely don't follow it, but it was, uh, Brett definitely knows what he's talking about. It was an interesting, uh, interview. Yeah. Held my attention. <laughs> and mine, too. And I was there. And where's Alan? <laughs> I don't know where Alan is. I don't know where the Fiscus is. Whose podcast fisc- is this? This is... <laughs> I would say this is Brett's podcast, and then I produce it, but today I am your host. There you go. Well, um, guest co-host... The inimitable Jackson. Over yeah, here. I got the call. I got the call up, and I showed up. Here I am. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> He's the pinch hitter of podcasting. That's right. <laughs> yes. Called up from AAA. Here I am. <laughs> well, anyway, um, today we are going to mostly talk about Aaron, but in general, we're going to be talking about like the experimental music scene in Wichita and where Aaron is currently residing. Um, how that works and the the lack of a scene there is in some places, I'm sure, and where you are. Yeah, I mean, here. <laughs> well. But anyway, that's what we'll be talking about. So, um, we just opened up with a track um, that you, I believe, just finished a couple days ago. Yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm in town uh, visiting and... My my parents have an old piano from a thrift store uh, that I think my mom bought for eighty dollars maybe fifteen years ago or so, and it's wonderfully out of tune and beautiful. <laughs> so I thought I'd you know exploit the opportunity to work with it. I uh, yeah, yesterday morning just uh, laid down a few tracks. It worked out really well. So. so what can you tell us about the track on a technical side? Like what sort of problems did you have and? I mean, the biggest problem that I have with any track is my lack of ability 
to play music well. <laughs> Amen. The, I know where you're coming from. I mean, the the recording side of it is is I'm not saying that recording technically is easy because it's not, but it's easier than trying to play instruments well when you don't know how in the first place. So, um, I noticed there was. It seemed like there was two drum tracks on that. Yes. Yes. So, so are those are those hard panned or? Uh. No, they're not hard panned. It, I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> Um, you also mentioned before we started the podcast that you had to actually tune the piano afterward. Oh yeah, that's right. It's that actually the organ. The, this piano has a really interesting history. It's um, you know it was like from a thrift store, and the, the soundboard itself was cracked. And so when my mom bought it, she had somebody come out to tune it, and he was afraid to tune it up to pitch because he thought it would just completely break the soundboard in half. <laughs> and so he tuned it a half step low, so it's in tune with itself pretty well, and it, it stays you know pretty well in tune but it's uh it's just a bit lower than than concert pitch and so you can tune other instruments to it or uh you know fix it in post as we say and adjust the pitch in the computer which is what i did for for these recordings um that's kind of an interesting thing um i mean myself i'm not really an experienced pianist but those who are can definitely tell a difference and it kind of it changes the way you use the instrument when the notes that you're playing are, are you know, in a different key than than what you had anticipated. So. Yeah. Um, so where are you currently living? Even though I already know this question. The western side of town in Philadelphia. Oh, how's how's <laughs> Philly? It's it's a fantastic city. It's beautiful. It's beautifully grimy. <laughs> Are you going to school there? I, no, I um, actually I moved out to Jersey a couple years ago to go to Rutgers, and um, Philly's close by, and met someone there and moved into Philly. It was definitely a good move to get out of Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> How's Jersey? Oh, you know, it's Jersey. Jersey, Jersey's the, the derby of Philly. Oh. Is the Jersey Shore as beautiful as it is portrayed on MTV? No. <laughs> well, I guess it depends on what you mean by beautiful. You mean like in in an ironic sense? or <laughs> In any sense, I guess, yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm not really a, a beachy kind of guy. I Actually, I went to the beach for the first time in my life just not a month ago. So in Jersey, did you find it easier to... I mean, you made a lot of music there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is it easier or different compared to making music in Wichita? Or how would you compare the two? I mean, did you have yeah, a lot, what, of, what a lot was more space freedom? Like? Or? In a lot of ways, I'd say it was, it was more difficult in, in New Jersey. Um, one of the great things about Wichita is space, just like in the literal sense, is cheap. You can live here in a decent-sized apartment for, you know, for not too much money, and you can be decently far from your neighbors so you can make mm-hmm. a lot of noise in where you live which is much much harder in, in New Jersey I I lived in in a bedroom with four other people and the rent was over twice what I paid for a one bedroom apartment here yeah like you were in a literally in a bedroom with four people or you had your own bedroom oh. four dudes in a bedroom <laughs> no 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 I I had a bedroom in a flat okay a, a five person flat so that was okay. uh, it was a bit of a trip <laughs> 
I'm sure pawn shops in Wichita looking for weird equipment and gear to make noise with. I'm sure it's cheaper in Wichita than in New Jersey. Oh, uh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, Wichita is actually great for that. It's yeah. it's weird, like, New Jersey is is strangely spread out, com- like, considering how densely populated it is, it's actually not very easy to get around to a lot of places. Um, yeah. Where I lived in New Brunswick, where the main campus of Rutgers is, there there is no music store. There's no record store, there's no store to get instruments or supplies like that it just it doesn't exist there and the only bookstore there is the the campus bookstore yeah so even though there's you know it's a more densely populated area you basically have to take the highway to get anywhere mm-hmm. and of course i don't i don't drive so i didn't have a car and mm-hmm. and getting around up there was it, it's just impossible to get anywhere so yeah and yeah it's which still has a lot of cool places where you can find strange equipment for cheap you know mm-hmm. Even finding spaces in Wichita to practice or throw the random show, I'm sure, is easier than in somewhere like New Jersey. Yeah, definitely. What kind of scene, if any, in New Jersey or where you were living was there of other experimental or any music at all? What was that like? Well, it's kind of interesting. There was um, a place we used to go drink called the Court Tavern that was technically the last music venue like indie music venue in New Brunswick that was still around like it was a bar that had you know DIY bands and that was the last place where you could actually do that and they closed this last year so there's not even a there's not even a bar venue in town there is no DIY venues alright so for the listeners because they don't know what just happened Alec had a an IT failure yeah the producer has failed um I just upgraded my laptop like a month ago and forgot that my battery power has been incredibly cre- in that decreased Alex from the, a couple hours to apparently about 30 minutes <laughs> Alex the person that anytime I don't know how to do something with a computer he's the person I text and then I just look it up on Google <laughs> I have somebody Google it for me because that's how important I am I, have, I gotta call my IT guy I got a Google guy the Google guy. Well, I think we were kind of talking about a scene in New Jersey where... New Brunswick, right? Yeah, New Brunswick is where I, I had lived. It's weird to talk about a scene because I don't, I don't consider myself an expert on any of that stuff. I don't really know what a scene is exactly, but uh, yeah, the basement show thing is definitely something that goes on a lot from some of the Rutgers students. and. And that's encouraging. It's good to see those things happening. What did that look um, like? Was it mostly experimental stuff or punk bands or yeah, it's kind mixture? of kind of both of those things. Um, there's definitely sort of a a general style that a lot of bands there are a, a lot of young bands out there are doing. It. I'm not sure exactly what you'd call it, but it's um, it's really inspired by DNA. Okay. And it's very um, like a no wave thing. It's it's no wave inspired. It, it, the, I think one of the biggest things that kind of uh, that you could classify the bands as as being into is getting away from musicianship. Mm-hmm. So there are definitely a lot of people doing things that that uh, that are intentionally out of tune and off rhythm, right? And, oh. and that you you know don't yeah. don't need to be able to know how to play an instrument in order to play. Is that so something? Is it artsy? 
<laughs> I don't. I don't think it's even artsy. I think it's more. It's like a cultural terrorist kind of thing. It's yeah. They, you know, they they want music to be the province of of the many and and not the elite of any of any kind. And and making music that way is kind of one way of getting at that. It's kind of like like the new sort of folk, like like New Jersey garage folk. You know, it's like with electric guitars. It's very distorted and noisy and. Mm-hmm. There's this clamor to it, but it's it's definitely the feeling of it is that it's the people's music, and you know people who aren't in the band will come up on stage and, and be a part of it, and that's you know I, I think it's it definitely has a lot to do with with trying to create a new folk music. So was it easy to find shows to play? Um, I don't know if you played that many shows or not. Oh no, not too many. I played a few. It was it's yeah it's it's easy if if you just talk to people, but. Everything is is DIY in in the the really literal sense. There's uh, like in a lot of cases you can't even post flyers for a show because it's in a basement and you're not supposed to have shows there. Oh yeah. So it's it's only word of mouth, you know. And um, a lot of shows that were booked the day of that kind of thing. Um, but if you're if you know other people who are involved and who want to be involved, then yeah, you can make things happen pretty easily. So. And is it mostly local? Are there a lot of touring? I mean, is it a lot of shows set up for touring bands too? Or if if a touring band wants to come through, a, a lot of people kind of drive through New Jersey on the way from from New York to Philly and yeah. don't really stop. Sure. But if somebody wants to stop in New Brunswick, they can find a show. So so that's good. There was there was one night I was at a local show, just people from Ruggers, like undergrads, playing and. The next house over, there happened to be a show also that I just walked over to see, and it was the band Amps for Christ playing. Wow. And that was kind of a cool moment. That's yeah. crazy, yeah. yeah. In a house? Yeah, in a basement. Amps for Christ, that's some dudes from like, Man is the Bastard or something like that? I'm or? not sure. I'm not sure who they, I just, I've heard them before. We should probably look that up before we yeah. start talking about them. Before we start <laughs> so that guessing. We, so that we don't sound like... <laughs> Completely incompetent fools. <laughs> I guess we're past that point. Though. Yeah, we're, we're, we're deep into that. <laughs> well, it, during the the break when the computer decided to shut down, we were talking about Mike Haley and 905 Tapes. You have a release. Yeah, on yeah, this it's tape uh, label. Yeah, it's well, it's it's um, through their distro. Distro. It's. Um, I'd like another. Uh, it's 905tapes.com. They have a distro, and um, it's a friend, Mike Haley. He has uh, a bit of a label also where he puts out some tapes. My, my tape was self-released, but it's it's being distributed there. Okay. So they're based in Delaware. A um, lot of good releases. And that has a little bit of even more local interest. There's Mr. Phil Ross does a thing called Leavenworth, who had a tape on 905 a couple of years ago. Um, and he doesn't play very much anymore. But and Mike Haley used to run a, a screamo label back in the day, Electric Human Project. Oh, that's amazing! And then moved on to Noise. So most people move on to Noise. That's from what screamo. happens. Yeah, that's kind of the natural progression, I think. So did you go to a lot of shows in New York and Philly, like those towns that are uh, hop, skip, and a jump? From where you were, um, if the yeah, in, in time there's something, something big happening, and it's you know uh, 
promoted well enough and you know in advance is, is definitely like a destination that's I think one of the big problems with New Brunswick and New Jersey in general is people don't really invest in their community very much because New York mm. is so close. Right. So for anything more serious, you can just take the train up there and, and, yeah. and do it there. And you don't really have to like start up venues in New Brunswick because you know it's, it's an hour away from the city. And I think that kind of hurts it, actually. It's, I mean, it's yeah. nice to be close to New York. Yeah, that's cool. That's great. There's a lot going on. But Any band that makes it anywhere, you know marginally successful ends up leaving New Jersey there's some bands like Real Estate and like Titus Andronicus are two bands that come to mind that are big New Jersey bands that don't live there anymore Yeah, it seems like that happens a lot Yeah, everybody leaves what's funny about them is they still kind of claim this Jersey pride kind of uh side of it same thing with Rye Coalition Yeah, that's a bit of a blast from the past yeah (laughs) totally (laughs) Well, do we want to listen to another track? Do you have something something you want to line up? Yeah. Why don't you choose one? Okay. <laughs> um, so it's not like I know what I'm doing. Ooh, we can talk about this one. Oh, yeah, okay. We'll play that one a bit. Alright, so that was a little weird. Um, what exactly was that? I mean, that was uh, only about 11 seconds long. Right, that's a, it's a test from uh, a piece that I'm working on now. Um, what, what you're actually listening to is a recording of um, 100 separate MP3 files being played in, in iTunes, one after the other. And so I'm working on a piece that's going to have, uh, I think, 5,000 MP3s, each less than a second long. And you're supposed to open all of them at once in order and play them through in, in a, a playback program. It could be iTunes or VLC or whatever. And, um, you know, programs like that have a bit of latency. Um, there's different kinds of delays between, between tracks. And so that kind of becomes part of the piece. You know, it kind of determines the tempo and how much silence you're hearing So it's yeah, yeah it's going to it's going to change the whole the rhythm and the experience of the actual track just based on what program you open. Right. Yeah, I was um, I was recently I was asked to be a part of this this project called the Digital Locked Grooves compilation by a net label called Genetic Trance based in Ukraine. And uh, so, what's a locked groove? Oh well, it's <laughs> it's taken from the phrase "locked groove" originated with vinyl records, which is a groove that, that plays back into itself and, and doesn't move across the record but just keeps repeating the same groove. So it's 1.8 seconds long provided you're playing it on 33. Right. And um, so there have been certain kind of experimental releases throughout the years that, that work with locked grooves on vinyl as, as a compositional um, strategy. So this net label put together a compilation of 233 tracks from different artists that are are just digital files that are 1.8 seconds long, each of them. The idea being that you would play them on repeat in in your iTunes or whatever program you're using to play back. And uh, latency is a can be a problem in that sense because it kind of there's a, a bit of a glitch sometimes, and it 
Yeah, changes. You want it to be a continuous sound. Right. So that you kind of have to load the file over and over again. It changes the the rhythm of it and you know the way it sounds depending on how you're playing it on what kind of device and so it can be a problem for a project like that. But it's also just an interesting thing to try to work with as as part of the composition. It reminds me a lot of this this release that was done by Autiker, um under the name Gescom. And it was, for a while, the only mini-disc-only release <laughs> until they re-released it on CD. And it's, it's something like 60 or 70 tracks, and they're all really short, like 10, 15 seconds long, I think. And the thing about mini-disc is there's no latency, even if you're on random, between tracks. And so you're supposed to listen to the whole album on random, yeah. and it'll be a completely different album every single time you listen to it. So it'll just like seamlessly go between tracks all the way across. And I've been trying to find that album for so long, and I've checked eBay like every week. And they reissued it on vinyl, on CD, on CD. Yeah. So that kind does that kind of take away from the yeah? Because I mean, there's there's a good quarter of a second on most CD players between tracks. Yeah, yeah. Even if (laughs) even if there is no like normally there's like the two second gap. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've been. And I actually like bootlegged it myself because I've got a mini disc player recorder. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> so I so I burnt burnt. I don't know if burnt's the right term for a mini disc. Recorded my own copy of it and listened to it a while. I think that's uh, is it called the Red Book standard for CDs for CDs? Yeah, yeah. That's so something like this, um, like it wouldn't even qualify as a, a CD release in in those terms because. The tracks are too short. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So you were talking about playing piano on this latest track. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing we heard was a more digital sounding thing. Do you do a mixture of both? Actually... Or what's your what's your setup like? For, for the past couple of years, it's been just purely digital with yeah. no actual traditional instruments unless you consider the computer to be an instrument, which sure. you can. Um, but I think coming back here to visit, I've just been in Wichita for a week or so and had instruments here that I, I had played before I moved away, you know, and, and the space to use them. And, and so these new recordings that I've done in the past week were a way to utilize that. Yeah. So. Do you have a preference or... <clears throat> It's it's easier to not play real instruments. Yeah. It's, I mean, a computer is always going to be on the beat. Right. (laughs) And it's always going to be in tune. Yeah. But how do you think that affects your creative side? Um, Because lately I've been, I mean, over the past year or so, I've been constantly thinking about how if I have an instrument in front of me and I have to record, like, a track, like, verbatim just like bam record it perfectly mm-hmm. it really forces me to like lock down what I'm actually composing mm-hmm. whereas and and deal with those limitations like when I have a computer in front of me and I can technically do whatever I want sometimes I can get overwhelmed and yeah. I feel like I'm gonna like I try to do things that I'm not comfortable doing Yeah. Um, when it comes to like Mainly the production and like mastering and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, this this is a really cool track, and then I listen to it the next day, and I'm like, oh, this sounds like I recorded it on a computer. <laughs> Whereas when I sit down with a synthesizer and a fucking tape recorder, yeah, 
um, I like nine times out of ten I'm more confident even though yeah. I even though it's like a foreign thing like I can't play keyboard that well at all mm -hmm. and dealing with tape you kind of have to get it in one go yeah you can't just go back and edit little glitches yeah. out and fix tempos and stuff like that yeah I definitely think that's that's a big part of it that's really interesting I um, some of the work that I was doing well when I was working on my MFA at, at Rutgers I, I brought a lot of tapes with me because I, I should back up a bit I used to record with tape a lot I had a four track cassette you know machine and um, so I started recording when I was 13 which is also when I started playing drums and so I have a lot of four track tapes from from around then and for maybe a five year span when I was working with tape a lot and of course the kind of music I was into was much different you know it was much more kind of garage rock based mm -hmm. but I have all those tapes still these, these old recordings that I had been working on and one of the big things that I that I was doing when I was at school was uh, I was in an environment where I couldn't play drums or guitar I didn't have an amp with me and I was doing everything on the computer because it was portable and it was you know what could fit in the space that I had and I was just going back in and editing those tapes and like pulling things out of them and, and putting new compositions together from the kind of pre-recorded elements that I had so I was you know sampling myself to make new compositions and that I think opened up a lot of creativity yeah so do you do you like the idea of found sounds like I know a lot of like hip-hop people do that all the time they're just like oh that's a cool beat off of this record I'm gonna sample these yeah. six seconds mm -hmm. and then put it in a whole new environment um, give it a new life it's I guess you could argue that it's not found sounds with what you were doing since you already did them but you definitely did find them at a later date and, yeah. and reutilize them back in a way that they weren't really intended for yeah I love the idea of found sound I I think what um What's most inspiring is when musical sounds can can come out of things that weren't intended to be music in the first place, mm -hmm. you know, which could be recordings of sermons or or whatever it might be. Field recordings or anything. Yeah, I mean, I think that's another interesting thing that I've been thinking about a lot and trying to work with now is what what happens with sound recording with um, like digital cameras or like iPhones. You know, there's a lot of stuff on YouTube that's done in just kind of an amateur way and the sound that, that ends up happening with cheap digital cameras can be pretty intriguing sometimes, especially like, you know, loud sounds. There, there's so many videos of, of um, like sporting, like, like motorsports, you know, like NASCAR or whatever, and the sound is like way too loud for a camera like that yeah. or like an iPhone microphone or something. And, and it becomes this, this wonderful digital clipping this distortion that happens it like becomes this kind of amazing noise music you know it's kind yeah. of like it's a non-representational art form I guess to to reuse that thing because you know you watch YouTube videos and you're like oh I want to look up this band and you find a recording and it looks good and then it sounds like total ass <laughs> and it's not the same song anymore it's this yeah. distorted square wave <laughs> yeah monstrosity <laughs> That kind of ruins your day because you wanted, really wanted to show your friend this cool track. <laughs> but I, but I like the idea of, of utilizing that just made the that sun, failure. I made the sun logo. There it is. 
Aaron made the sun logo with his, with his, with his rings. Sweat rings. <laughs> so as far as like experimental music, not necessarily in, in making your own music, but are there any particular artists or bands that you find influence from or that you appreciate right now, either contemporary or older <clears throat> oh i mean of course yeah i'm always like eager to, to hear new things it, it's i it's always weird whenever i'm i'm put on the spot i can never think of anybody so <laughs> so as yeah far as, like, making music though i mean experimental music is kind of just you know do something see what happens so when you go into making tracks you're going into it like that right yeah yeah you usually in, in my case, everything kind of starts from a theme, a, you know, a, a predetermined idea or a set of rules or, you know, just kind of arbitrary restrictions that I put on myself and see kind of what happens within that. And what kind, what kind of rules or restrictions, like as an example, would you give yourself for a track? Uh, well, there's a piece that I, I did recently, we can listen to in a second, um, I recently I did a residency program in Wasaic, New York. It's this uh, small town in rural upstate New York, and the studios for the for the residents is it, they are they're built into an old barn that had been used for um, for cattle auctions back in the day, and so they have an entire PA system set up for for the auctioneers that's just used for voice. You know, it's probably from. I'm guessing the 1940s is when it was put together, and they have these these old speaker cones, these old horns that are that are uh, just screwed into the building. It's this this amazing old wooden structure, and and the whole thing is wired throughout the space. And so, one of the projects that I did was to try to compose something that could be played through the PA in the barn and using using people's voices, just uh, mm -hmm. just taking recordings of of the human voice and splicing it together and manipulating it and mm -hmm. you know slowing it down drawing it out making tonal arrangements out of it and playing it back through something that was designed for voice in the first place mm -hmm. so what track was that? Unfinished Map number one okay we will give a listen to that right now
Alright, so that was an interesting track. Um, so, from what you said earlier, there's no actual instruments or anything in that? Right. It's um, the only thing that I'm actually putting through the speakers in the first place to, to capture the sounds was voice, a recording of a voice, and then the other tones that happen are from feedback from the mic and just manipulating the, the volume to feedback from the, the PA horns and then that can become you know raw material for uh, adjusting pitches and getting different tones out of it that way. So you're saying that track was compositionally mostly just post? Yep. Yeah. Not all post. <laughs> uh, yeah, for, yeah, for the most part. Um, it was like your setup was the existing atmosphere. Right, that's like where I was deriving, you know, some of the sampled sound that I was I was getting out of the situation, and then I could use that to to create a new composition. So, cool, and then play that composition back into the space through those horns again. Yeah. So, what kind of other post production stuff do you do with like, like, are there different techniques you're interested in, or multiband compressors, maybe? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, we were t- Alec and I were talking about this earlier. This is an inside joke for the techie people. I completely overdo it with the multiband compressor. It's, it's an amateur mistake. Be careful with multiband. <laughs> what do you, what do you get into when you when you're doing that? Well, I, uh, should we should we get into the to the technical <laughs> side? You can I don't know. blow some minds. Come on. You can, Take whatever sound you want and just smash it so that everything is the same, the same volume, and an entire track. Every instrument will be the same volume. It just compresses everything into, into this completely flattened out, strange, unnatural sound. It worked well at the time. Yeah, it's it was really yeah. pleasing. Well, it's a nice effect, but and that's... you were really good at it because I would well, watch you and I'd be like, I I don't know if I ever want to delve into this this particular <laughs> plugin ever. Well, but that—that's the problem, though. It's—it's it's a nice effect, but it—it it becomes an effect. And if you're trying to make a naturalistic recording of something, it's—it it sounds compressed rather than rather than something that um, is a natural frequency response. You know? Yeah. So. But at the time, you weren't necessarily doing that. You weren't making punk rock recordings of guitars and oh, stuff. Yeah, of, of natural instruments in the traditional sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, it, I think it worked well. Yeah. Have you ever thought about trying to, I mean, um, commissioning your stuff off for uh, film or advertising uh, and, you know, little stuff like that? I would love to work with film. I, yeah. I recently did the the score and audio production for a play by um, oh, wow. a playwright named Ellie Rosa Zamora and so so we worked with the actors and got you know recordings of just just the audio you know n- no video of it and then took those those voices that had been the performance of the play and mixed that in with some original music and, and kind of concrete sounds that I that I Generated and, and used their voices as raw material to to make the piece uh, a bit more dynamic and and have more to it than just the raw voices. And so you, you said it was a play. Yeah. How did they utilize your your content? Well, uh, 
it's it's not a play in the sense that you like go see it performed. It's oh. a play in the sense that it was written as a play and we recorded it and and did a lot of work with audio and then now it's available on CD. Oh, cool! And you can buy you can buy the book with a CD, so it has the 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 actual script. And where do people get that? It's available on my Bandcamp site if you just want the audio and for the book. I'm not positive. I think you might have to search for Ellie Rosa Zamora and maybe get it on Amazon. I don't know. That's that's something else we're going to have to look up and maybe fix and post. <laughs> There's the post. We're going to fix can, everything in the post. We can always add links into the actual post on the on the blog spot. That's you, right. You have a history of making videos, right? Short films and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah. Are, you made um, your own music for those too. Is that something video you still do or? Not as much. Um, that's definitely something that when I first moved out to New Jersey to go to school was was more of my focus was working with with video and yeah. Of, of course, sound is a big part of that. And in the course of the past couple of years, uh, just working with sound without a visual component kind of. <laughs> took over as a priority, yeah. but uh, not because I'm not interested in video anymore. It just kind of took a backseat to yeah. trying to do things with pure audio. So. Yeah. So speaking of where to get things, where can we get your recordings in general? I have a CD and a tape available at Notes and Noises. Here in Wichita? Here in the ICT, just down the street from where we are now at Lucky's. Yeah. I have... A Bandcamp site at apvague.bandcamp.com. You can also go to apvague.com, and, and there are links to various releases I've been a part of, different compilations and things on, on that site. So. And then you have the release on 905. That's right. You it's, can get uh, that through 905. Yeah, that's 905tapes.com, and um, it's available for $4, which is a steal. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Was there a wink with that steal? A little bit. <laughs> How do you feel about digital music being released on analog? How do you? Other, that's sort of an interesting like production other on than digital and then like digital tracks that kind of the reverse they get put out on analog material, tapes and vinyl. Other than just thinking it's awesome, I yeah, you know it's it's kind <laughs> the of right like way to do it. <laughs> like you know when when CDs were were first something you could buy and there was the little either AAD or ADD to kind of describe the the workflow of be, having been recorded on on tape and manipulated digitally and now it's it's common for for it to be DDA yeah which is kind of interesting what's that oh it means digital digital analog so like okay, it was recorded yeah. in the first place digitally and right. then mastered digitally and then released on an analog format which is kind of the opposite of what was happening maybe I don't know, like 15 years ago, I guess, when yeah. Yeah, when CDs were a bit more of the... The norm. The norm, yeah. Yeah. I, that, that's an interesting thing. I, I, you know, analog formats are actually more archival than digital in, in a certain sense, because digital requires a certain level of maintenance to back up the files to yeah. keep them kind of um, compatible with, you know, with changes in computing and... and digital storage and, and things and like that. And even decay, like as something decays analog, it's still usually listenable. It just it just mm -hmm. loses fidelity or something like that. Whereas when it decays digitally, 
you get skips and jumps and missing sections. And right. I heard, I don't remember where I heard this, but the best analog versus digital argument I've ever heard was somebody was saying how analog is like taking a pencil on paper and never lifting that pencil. That's analog. And digital is like if you take that pencil and you take it off the paper every second. Yes. Like that's sort of the... Right. What it's like, I guess. I've never really heard that described. I think that's the best way I've ever heard it. Yeah. Which is interesting. And I guess, I guess you can argue against that with the fact that digital, you're getting smaller and smaller increments mm-hmm. so that it's and you're mi- kind of the same. You're missing chunks of the yeah. sound of what it's supposed to be, though. Right. Like, yeah. I always just think of, like, a wheelchair ramp versus stairs. Uh-huh. Like a digital, you know, you go up, and then you go up again, and then you go up again, uh-huh. and then analog, it's just like the smooth... Right, yeah. So what do you call an escalator? <laughs> Blowing <laughs> your mind! <laughs> I'm going to have to think about that, that for, like, the next two months. That brings up <laughs> another kind of interesting thing is, uh, like, with video, uh, not to bring up a bad pun with the, the term video drone, but um, video is kind of a drone. It's... Uh, you know, the light that you're seeing like from a screen or a projector is a constant light with just changing values and colors, whereas uh-huh. with actual film, you know, 16mm or whatever, there's you, you're actually like sitting in the dark for part of that time, and you're seeing literal increments on the film, and, and that's something that both interests me and turns me off with video, the fact that it's a, a solid light. There's, there's yes. got to be a parallel between yes. digital and film. Because film is still incremental. You're still seeing a frame and then a frame and then a frame. Uh-huh. And even though we call it analog, it's still not... It doesn't seem like it's pure. Because you're still getting partial information incrementally. Right. Well, I mean, I guess that's true with video also. It's one of the things that kind of... Uh, gets me really um, motivated to work with just audio without a a visual component is the fact that it requires a duration for it to exist like a a video you can you can freeze frame and there's an image there that's a still image even though it's it's moving quickly past you and you don't really think of it that way all the time but but you can stop anything visual can can be stopped and can be captured and, and exist outside of the time of it but you can't listen to sound without it being active without it being happening in real time right Mm -hmm. I mean I guess you could get a frequency that exists in a moment in time but But then that frequency would then have to be generated over a duration of time for you to hear it yeah well (laughs) what's what's the difference between that and seeing a frame over a duration of time there's a difference (laughs) (laughs) it's still a moment it well okay yeah Okay, fine. I mean, if you want to think of it that way, but... Okay. <laughs> well, but at whatever the frequency is, they're... Like... Na- never mind. <laughs> we'll cut that out. Okay. That entire thing. It's... Um, are you interested in... how, Or have you done any collaboration with any other artists? Um, yes. Uh and what is that? What's it like? Well, you do a lot of work by yourself. 
and what's it like getting another person in the room with you? Yeah, I've mostly done work by myself. This is this is a weird thing to talk about too. I uh, I don't know what to say and what not to say. I mean, you find it more comfortable by yourself. I don't know if it's that it's more comfortable, but it's easier because easier, yeah. you 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 know work with your own schedule and mm-hmm. you know uh, your your own boss and there's never any compromise with anybody else. Yeah. But one of the things that I've done there's actually um, Alec and I together are in a band that is not really too active of a band, but um, with our friends Catherine and Alana and mm-hmm. those two girls sing um alana's my sister she lives in la and i live in philly and so um trying to do work as a band is kind of difficult when you're in in three different cities you know and on different coasts yeah Yeah. (laughs) so we don't really do too much of that material although that um the work that i was just recording since i've been here is going to be a full band release uh sometime in the next couple of months so and what's that called we we changed the name recently to Full Farine. It used to be called Tifoti, mm-hmm. which stands for the Fall of the Empire. T F O T E. Which that's an old name that uh, my sister and I came up with when we were in high school, and we thought that was kind of I don't know, maybe a little immature or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I remember some of those shows. I mean, Alana, right? She was playing guitar. Yeah, she plays guitar and bass. Were you playing guitar too? And I think in in those shows I was playing bass mostly. Yeah. Until Alec started playing shows also, and he was playing bass at that point. I think when um, when we were doing that as as a full band as a four piece, my role was mostly to to handle the digital side of things. So I had a sampler and uh-huh. and looper pedals and yeah. and a drum machine and and kind of putting all of those things together was was what I did live. So. And was there a lot of collaboration in that, or was it kind of you bringing stuff to the other guys? Oh no, definitely it was it was collaborative. It was yeah. Uh, it's actually that that is one thing. It's like we're saying it's easier to work by yourself because you know you're on your own schedule, but it's easier to write in a group because yeah. mm-hmm. there are just more ideas going around. And yeah, I mean, having a jam session by yourself is kind of lame. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, having like having all four people there and and working just in the moment to write material as a group is is so much easier than trying to compose on is your own. It's something you miss. It's definitely something I miss. It's hard to schedule, you know. It's, yeah. Uh, and you have to find the right people. But, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was it was definitely a, a collaborative project. It was a good atmosphere, but it, you know, it's it's not practical when you when you don't live in the same city. So. Is there a lot of that in New Brunswick? Was there a lot of collaborative, creative uh, stuff going around? Well, I definitely saw a lot of it, yeah. There were, there were definitely a lot of, of younger people doing things like that. I, I wasn't really a big part of that scene. I was yeah. kind of working on my degree and, and, you know, things for my own kind of personal work. But, but yeah, it, it, it happens there. I think you see that a lot in experimental and noise music is a lot of the one man band sort of thing and um no idea where I was going with that <laughs> it's true <laughs> both things are true, <laughs> <laughs> <That's> are true. 
<laughs> well, I think sometimes with noise music, it's it becomes like sort of a formula, and the the relationship is is predetermined. It's you know I'm I'm gonna use these pedals or my laptop or whatever to make sound into the space that's completely improv and it's loud and it's atonal and it's like getting away from from musical convention and that's kind of it's a predetermined exercise and Mm -hmm. so I think with what I'm trying to do is to work with musical concepts like composition and rhythm and tonality and things like that but in in a way that kind of borrows from the aesthetic of noise or the procedure of of doing things with with just electronics without traditional instruments or something like that so yeah so that you're not just some guy standing up at stage yeah. with his 96 phasers and a <laughs> distortion pedal playing with feedback for sitting, sitting cross-legged, not moving, with visuals going around the room like a psychedelic <laughs> thing. Yeah. Like, Although like 96 spirit. phasers and a distortion pedal, that yeah, sounds kind of awesome. That actually does sound epic. really awesome. I regret saying that because I want that now. Do you think experimental music and... I guess the stuff like that gets a bad rap as being pretentious and non-music like you run into critics I personally wouldn't say it gets a bad rap because I think most of it is kind of garbage uh which is an oddly eloquent way of saying it now that I say that (laughs) because it's kind of supposed to sound like garbage sometimes right yeah yeah. but I I think people get too comfortable sounding like garbage Mm mm-hmm you know, I actually, I really don't think of it as a pretentious activity, though. I, I mean, maybe it's perceived that way sometimes, but I, I, I think, think it's like perceived as like an like an academic thing, like a yeah. Like you don't you don't understand. Kind of like of when thing. when abex first became like a genre in painting, you know, it was perceived as this elite kind of avant garde thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, but noise is not avant garde. It's it's. Uh, it's been around forever. Like noise yeah. music has been around forever, uh-huh. and it's it's not the province of the educated elite. It's it's uh, well, it's kind of like some of those some of those bands I was talking about in New Brunswick that are are trying to get away from musical convention. It's that's that's not a pretentious activity, and it's not really an academic activity either. It's it's definitely trying to reinstate something with with the community at large. You know, uh-huh. in some ways, I think putting yourself out there to make noise that's abrasive and um, in many senses not enjoyable I think that that can be a humble activity you know it, it can be anyway yeah I don't like it when people put out like a release every month and it all just kind of sounds like they're practicing <laughs> yeah. I think that's a bit pretentious <laughs> yeah <laughs> well what do you what are your feelings on performance in general, like, what's your setup like when you, if you were to like perform, say at like a house show or even like a, a school thing, like a. In well, in recent months, it's been mostly done on the computer, and um, one of the things that I'm really interested in is is working with recorded sound as opposed to, you know, creation in the moment, which mm-hmm. kind of like kind of fucks with the entire concept of playing live music because I've never been been one for uh, I- improvisation at all uh-huh. as I'm sure you can tell by the way I speak I have no idea what I'm saying most of the time but it's, it's the same way with, with making music it's uh, 
I feel like it's much more difficult to make music in the moment and and improv with it. And I'm not good at it, and I don't like doing it. So I've I've turned my focus to <clears throat> to working with recorded sound, you know, and and then trying to to put that into a live setting. You know, you, you find ways, but mm-hmm. it ends up being a lot of a lot of stuff on a sampler and a computer and a looper pedal and mm-hmm. and. There's a little bit of a, a backlash to that when people kind of look at you like you're you're not playing quote unquote a real yeah, performance. Think, you know, you're not actually playing anything. To seeing people on stage, like on a big stage with a key, with a laptop. Yeah, I think people get can can get turned off by something. like Yeah, that. They, they think yeah. that you're not actually playing anything or right. something like that. But I mean, you get over that. You know, it's I. I think when I when I was first interested in playing live, doing these things, that was kind of a fear, and I I don't know, thought I needed some kind of gimmick or something, or like at least have a guitar on my shoulder, like yeah, do something that with with an instrument to kind of negate that side of it. But you get over that. It's I mean, in the end, what really matters is the work and the quality of the work, and mm-hmm. the people who are interested will will accept the way you're going to produce it and mm-hmm. and go about things and, and be a part of the experience. So. so what's the next what's the next thing on your schedule, on your agenda? Another, you know, more recordings? Like, what are you working on now? I'm going to take over the world. That's right. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually, I'm flying back to Philly tomorrow and um, I'm going to take those recordings that I made here with the the real instruments and work with you know mastering them and, and putting them into a release which will be out soon and um, yeah I guess that's that's the big thing I'm working on now and we'll take it from there so well cool I think that's a good uh, stopping point for us tonight um, thank you for listening to ICTMF podcast um, once again we are located here this week at Lucky's Everyday uh, here in Wichita um Thanks for watching. Thanks Not for watching. having me, Listening. Alec. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I'd like to thank our guests again, AP Vague and Jackson. Good to see you guys. Jackson doesn't have a last name. Nope. I didn't want to say it. So. <laughs> doesn't matter. Anyway, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>